I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be ranking some of Arsenal's reported transfer targets. Now, there have been a number of reports over the past few weeks linking Arsenal to a number of players, players whose names you'll be familiar with, Declan Rice, Moises Caicedo, Ivan Fresneda, just to name a few. And we're going to be ranking the importance of those signings if Arsenal do go in for those signings, which one should take precedent, which one should be the priority. And we'll filter it down into some sort of order. We'll also discuss what other positions I feel that Arsenal need to build on and, and what other areas in which Arsenal could do with strengthening going into uh, the summer, which is going to be a big summer for Arsenal, whatever happens between now and the end of the season. We're going to do all of that on this edition of the show, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Hope everyone's feeling a little bit better after what happened on Wednesday night. I'm not going to say that I'm feeling better about it, but I've had some time to come to terms with it, and that's obviously um, put me in a slightly better mood, albeit I am still pretty gutted. I've got to be honest. You know, I, I'm trying to talk myself out of feeling down. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, it was a difficult one to take. And for me, more than the result, it was difficult to take the performance that we showed. And, you know, as we said on the show yesterday, there are ways to lose. And the way Arsenal lost was was pretty uninspiring and and left you kind of feeling really, really abject. Certainly in my case, anyway, that's, that's what, what I can say about it. But what I wanted to talk to you about today with regards to transfer targets is not because I'm writing off this season or I'm looking beyond this season at this stage. I think for me, it's really, really important that actually Arsenal finish the campaign strongly because it reinforces the message of we are back and we are here to stay. If Arsenal completely go off the rails now and fade away, people will start to say, well, look at Arsenal. You know, they didn't have the metal going into the last few games of the season and, and they completely wilted under pressure following their defeat up in Manchester on Wednesday night. So, what I want is for Arsenal to end the season strongly because I think the only thing um, that I can't get over, you know, and I said, look, I can accept Arsenal not winning the league this season. It will be hard and it will be heartbreaking and it will be disappointing because of the position that we've been in. But if we don't win the league this season, then, you know, that's not going to change my opinion on how positive this season has been. But the only thing that could sour it, and it's a real possibility, is that Manchester City end up dropping points between now and the end of the season and we're not good enough and we're not ready to pounce in the event that happens. We've given up control. They are now in, in charge of it. They are now bossing this title race. And as I say, if somehow Manchester City were to drop points and Arsenal weren't there ready to take advantage of that on the basis that they've got positive results, then that will be really, really hard to swallow. That will be really, really hard to take. So I'm not suggesting for a second that because I'm talking about transfers uh, while the season is still ongoing, that I, I don't think that's the priority. And I don't think that that is where our heads should be at. But naturally, when you go to a place like Manchester City and you watch them play us off the park, 
you recognize that we still have a lot of work to do and we still have a long way to go before we're at their level. Now, you could argue that throughout the course of the season, we've been better than Manchester City. And at the very minimum, we've been on Manchester City's level. But what I would argue is that even still, Manchester City at their very, very best are better than Arsenal at their very, very best. The problem is for Manchester City and the reason why Arsenal are where they are is because Arsenal have been close to their best for most of the campaign, barring a few dips here and there. Um, but also Manchester City haven't been at their peak for m- most of the season and they've seemed to have clicked into gear over the past few months. And as a result of them being so consistent, they've been able to close the gap and now they're in control uh, of the title race. It is in their own hands. So their ceiling right now is higher than ours or, or, or their max performance level, I'll put it like that, is higher than ours. But ours could get there because we've got enough young, promising players. We've got a talented young coach who gets better and better every season, albeit it isn't the finished article right now. But there's a lot to be encouraged about when it comes to Arsenal. There's a lot to be positive about. But naturally, when you watch Manchester City at full tilt, and at their brilliant best, the first thing that you do is you start to question how we can get there. What do we need to do still to get there? And I think actually what happened to me on Wednesday night was after I'd accepted that we'd lost the game, and I've got to be honest, I'd accepted that at half time. When that John Stones goal was given, I lost all hope of Arsenal coming back. Now, I know some people had said, well, no, this team has got incredible spirit. Big 45 minutes to come. We can take the game to them. We can hurt them. I knew they'd pick us off if we did that. And I knew that if we went gung-ho, we'd um, we'd end up shipping threes and fours. And we ended up doing exactly that. So what happened to me after half time was I flicked out of being upset and being devastated and, you know, focusing hard on on all of the things that we'd done wrong. That was a conversation for the next day, as as you'll know, based on the, um, you know, the, uh, the podcast that we put out. What I started to do was to look at Manchester City and try and identify the things that they do and that they have and the qualities that they possess that we just don't have at this moment in time. Therefore, trying to work out how we get there. Um, just a quick one. For those of you, uh, if you're in the chat and you're abusing fellow members of the chat, I'll just block you. I've just blocked someone. I don't care. I'm sick of it, man. This is a this is a a channel where, you know, we're a family. We're a community. We all come here. We talk about Arsenal. We discuss things. We share the good moments together. We share the bad moments together. Um, you know, that's what this is. And I've got no, I'm going to have no hesitation if it comes to just blocking people because I've noticed over the last few weeks, that kind of stuff has started to creep in again. It's the usual suspects. Whenever Arsenal lose, they want to troll and and they supposedly Arsenal fans. Clearly they're not, but I'm going to just block them. So if, if you're going to start coming, if you've got a different opinion to me or anybody else in the chat, there is a respectful way of um, of conveying that. And there's a respectful way of putting that message across. If you're going to come into the chat and just abuse people, I will block you because there's nothing I hate more than online trolls hiding behind fake names and avatar pictures. It gets on my nerves. So I'll block you if if you do that. Simple. I've already blocked someone today and, and I won't hesitate to press that button again, If even if I have to do it 100 times an episode. I don't care. Anyway, um, I digress. What the second half was for me was an opportunity to look at Manchester City up close 
and try and work out and establish what we are missing. I think we are missing some power in certain areas. I'm talking about physically. Um, you know, you've got to remember as well that a lot of this Arsenal squad, yeah, they've played a lot of games this season and they're young and, and you have to be careful with the workload that you put on young players as they're still growing and developing and maturing. But equally, when you compare that to, for example, what Man United have played in terms of how many of their big players have had to play in the league, the Europa, the Carabao, the FA Cup, we haven't played that many games. You know, people keep talking about the we play every three days business. If you want to play elite level football, you have to do that. And some clubs have the squad to be able to handle that. Others don't. Um, we don't in terms of the depth, but we we're going to have to get used to playing a lot of games, particularly next season um, when we're back in the Champions League, because we're no longer going to have a European competition on where we can go. Oh, do you know what? Give half the lads a rest this week because we're playing against a side from, uh, you know, a league far away that isn't as as competitive. That's that's not going to be the case this time. Every opponent that you're going to play in the Champions League is going to be of a certain level and is going to be, um, you know, of a certain category. Uh, David Loomer says depth for poor form, not fatigue. I think the two things are linked. I think that when you're in poor form, um, you know, you feel tired more, don't you? You you feel the effects of your body sort of running itself into the ground. When you are playing well, you can probably coast through those moments. So, it, yeah, it is about fatigue, but it is about being able to change people up and taking them out of the team when they're in poor form and knowing that someone can come in and do that job. And we've got it in some positions. We do. Um, but there are other positions where we clearly don't have it. And I still believe that the positions that we don't have it in are some of the most important positions in any football team. So that needs to be addressed and that needs to be worked on. We certainly need more depth. Now, I read a report earlier today that because of um, some of the clauses in some of our players' contracts, the 50-odd million pounds that we're expected to generate from being in the a Champions League group stage next season is not all going to automatically go back into transfers because there are a number of players in that Arsenal squad now that have contracts that specify certain wages. And once Arsenal returned to the Champions League, those wages would get a rise. That was a clause, from what I understand, that was put in a number of players' contracts. So there's an incentive for the players to get back into the Champions League, which they've already achieved. But that means that there will be an increase in our outgoings, which means that not all of that £50 million that the uh, the Cronkies and Arsenal Football Club will be generating as a result of being back in the big time is going to be pumped directly into transfers. Now, don't panic because that doesn't mean that KSE aren't going to invest. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think that they've shown us over the last few years that they will invest, even when we've been out of Europe completely in the Europa League. They've always invested since obviously Mikel Arteta took charge and since, um, you know, Edu took over. And during that time, they haven't really been able to generate any incoming revenue in the sense of transfers either. So, you know, you look at what we've got out there at the moment, out on loan, there's a few players that you feel we could get a bit of money in for. There's a decision that needs to be made about following Balogun. You know, is it bring him back, give him some time? I read a report today that Mikel Arteta really likes him and wants to bring him back. Or is it going to be, well, somebody's coming with a £40 million offer. He's not going to get much game time here. Not initially anyway. He wants to leave because he wants a guarantee of first-team football. So happy days. Let's do that deal. And everybody's pleased. And we get some money for the transfer kitty. I don't know how this summer's going to pan out exactly. 
Really, really difficult to say. But what I will say clearly is that we need to add further depth in a number of key areas, which we'll discuss a little bit later on on this show. And not only that, we need to improve in a couple of positions and provide ourselves with some different options so that we do have a plan B at times, which we clearly didn't have at City the other night. And so we do have different ways of playing that will maybe suit us in different games up against different opponents. So, yeah, um, that's where I'm at in terms of what this summer needs to be. But I also think the Champions League status helps us attract players. Um, You know, there are other benefits from it um, outside of just the revenue in itself. And I think the status thing is a big thing. And I think that, you know, that appeal and the London factor and all the other things and the fact that Arsenal are so clearly on an upward trajectory will make this a really, really attractive club for players to want to come to. What I will say, though, is I think we'll be an attractive proposition regardless this summer. But I think if we can maintain our level, so if we can continue to push now until the end of the season and show people that we're mentally stronger than a side that got quite far, took a knockback and then couldn't recover from it and then just cruise through to the end of the season. I think that if we can finish the season as strongly as possible and finish just a handful of points even behind Manchester City, I think that sends a really, really powerful message. I'm desperate for the boys to get back on form, starting with Chelsea on Tuesday, and um, and hopefully we can push forward and, and end the season at least on a high in terms of our own results and performances, and, and let's see where we are. You know, as I say, that the... the the worst scenario for me now is that Manchester City do drop points and we weren't there ready to take advantage of it. That would be the worst possible scenario. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk on this edition about some of the players that Arsenal have been linked with. The ones we've been linked with by reputable sources, because what you get over the course of a summer transfer window is a ton of reports. You know, every single day, people are looking for something to write about, something to talk about. And so... Even someone's name being mentioned in passing can be turned into a full-blown article about how Arsenal were going to sign X, Y, Z. And what I'm going to do over the summer when we're bringing you our sort of transfer update shows is try to give you guys as much of a steer as I possibly can with regards to um, what is coming from a reputable source, what is coming from maybe a source that is not so reputable, one that we should question. And I'm not here to sit there and and poke fun at journalists and say, well, this guy's really good. This guy's terrible. Don't listen to him. What I want to try and do is just dive into the reports in a little bit more detail, try and figure out the origin of them. And um, and if we can do that, we can try and rate those transfer rumours in terms of how accurate they probably are or probably aren't. So that's what I want to do over the course of the summer. So we're going to slightly change up our transfer show format, but we've still got plenty of time to go until then. So any suggestions, any thoughts on that are welcome and we can tweak it accordingly. But three players that Arsenal have been heavily linked with by some really reputable sources over the last few months are West Ham United's Declan Rice, uh, Brighton's uh, Moises Caicedo, who we, of course, tried to sign in January. And we can talk a little bit about the Spaniard, Ivan Fresneda, uh, who has been linked with the club. He, of course, uh, currently plays his football at Real Valladolid, uh, a exciting fullback, just 18 years old, somebody that Arsenal have been looking at apparently for a little while. So we're going to talk about those three. I'm going to rank them in terms of their importance. And what we're going to do on top of that is look at some of the other positions in which I feel 
that Arsenal really, really do need to to continue to strengthen in. I'm going to say some bits that I think people will find a little bit harsh and maybe somewhat controversial. But, you know, I am someone who very much believes in when it comes to transfer windows, sometimes you have to make a you have to take a ruthless approach. I think Arsenal are too big a football club to sign players, watch it not work out, and then feel like they have to stick by those players because they paid X amount of money for them. That's been something we've been guilty of doing in the past. And I'd like to think that we are past that. One of my famous lines, catchphrases on this podcast has always been, with every transfer, there is an element of risk. It don't matter if you're signing Erling Haaland for 60 million. There was a tiny little element of risk to that for Manchester City, that he would come to the Premier League and he wouldn't be able to translate the form that he showed in the Bundesliga and in the Austrian Bundesliga before that into the Premier League. Obviously, that's not been the case. It's worked out brilliantly, but every single transfer has an element of risk to it. And I think clubs should just acknowledge that and clubs should accept when they get one wrong and not try desperately to make something work that clearly is never going to because of what they spent. So let's start off uh, with these three lads. Let's start with with Declan Rice. Um, When we were first linked with Declan Rice, I was on the fence about this. I have to say, not because I don't think he's a good player and not because I don't think he would add something to the squad, but because I really did believe that West Ham United would end up finishing in a decent position, would go on a European run, which they've done, and would therefore be in a place where they could demand for Declan Rice a ridiculous amount of money. like, And I'm talking crazy money. I'm talking £100 million plus. Now, I'd imagine that going into the summer, West Ham will probably still start from a position when it comes to negotiations uh, from a position north of £100 million for this lad. He's 24 years old. Uh, he's played in, in what, all of their Premier League games this season, started 100% of the games, played 100% of the minutes, participated in 15% of their goals in total, which for a defensive midfield player is pretty good. His contract at West Ham expires on June the 30th, 2024. So there's only about a year left on that. They do have a one-year option, which makes West Ham's negotiation uh, position that just that little bit stronger. So it's not quite final year of his contract. But I, I'd imagine that given how much service he's given to the club, given that he's been linked away with a long with uh, linked away from them for a long time, and given that you know West Ham will know that they can't match or keep up with Declan Rice's ambition, that they'll be open to letting him go as long as the price is right. So what is the right price then for Declan Rice? Because I think it's probably around about the 65 to 70 million pound mark. And a lot of that is based on the contract situation, which I've just discussed, which isn't bad for West Ham, but it certainly isn't ideal. And the fact that West Ham have had a rotten season in the Premier League. And, you know, that puts them in a weaker position when it comes to trying to convince Declan Rice that this is the place to be and this is the place he should stay. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night 
and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. So yeah, I'd say 60 to 65 million is around about what I'd like to pay for Declan Rice. If we had to go that little bit further, then okay, you take that. If you really want the player and you really believe he's the right fit, then sometimes you have to overpay for stuff, right? That's that's how it goes. And I'm sure we won't be the only club looking at Declan Rice. Chelsea have long been linked with him and, and have long had an interest in him. So that could be a club that we face competition with. I mean, Chelsea's ability to go crazy in the transfer market could be hindered in the not-too-distant future based on FFP rules. Um, but yeah, they've certainly shown that they're willing to go nuts in the transfer market if they have to. Look at the Mikhailo Mudrik deal, for example. I mean, that one hasn't really worked out up until now, but that's not to say he won't go on and be a good player for them at some point. But how important is it that Arsenal get Declan Rice? How highly do I rate him in terms of what we're looking for? Now, if you listen to the pod that we put out yesterday where we reviewed what happened against Manchester City, the detailed one, not the bonus one, not the post-match reaction one, the detailed one that we put out. You'd have heard me talk about power. You'd have heard me talk about a lack of that in the Arsenal team. And you'd have heard me reference Rodri as someone who I think brings that to Manchester City, but also has an incredible um, technical level. And, and that makes him probably the best defensive midfielder in world football. I don't quite think Declan Rice is there technically on par with Rodri, I mean, but I think in terms of power, you know, running ability, physical presence, I think Declan Rice is right up there with the very best. And, you know, football is about a combination of things. It's about technical ability. It's about power. It's about physicality. It's about football intelligence. There are so many factors that go into being a really, really top player. I think Declan Rice is 90% of the way there in terms of being a top, top player. I think he just needs to play with top, top players to take him up to that 100% level. And I think at Arsenal, he would get the opportunity to do that. We've seen Mikel Arteta um, improve the likes of Granit Xhaka in terms of midfielders. I think we've seen Granit Xhaka uh, do a pretty good job with Thomas Partey for the most part, even if his form just in recent weeks has uh, just gone off the cliff a little bit. But yeah, I think Mikel Arteta is a good person for Declan Rice. I, I really, really do. And um, and I think that if I were Declan Rice, I'd want to join Arsenal. But I'd also be looking at, you know, how Arsenal are going to react from that defeat at Manchester City. And the reason I say that is because there will be clubs trying to sign Declan Rice who will be telling him that they're going to push for the Premier League title next year and that they're going to challenge for the Premier League title. Now, I know in terms of the evidence, Arsenal have been leading the, the Premier League this season for what? I think it was like 90% of, of the Premier League so far. I think I read today. Correct me if that's wrong, but I, I think I read that earlier this morning. You would look at that and obviously that would be a, a big, big, you know, yes, because... Arsenal have been there for a long, long time, which means they can sustain it, but they just didn't have enough right at the death, right in the crucial period. And because they were missing some really key players, they weren't able to to cruise through that period and, and to sort of get over the line in the end. But if Arsenal fall off a cliff in the last five games, it might not be significant to you or I, because as I say, we've achieved our goal of getting back in the Champions League. But I think potential suitors in terms of players uh, will be looking at that and looking at how this team responds. If this team responds now and goes and wins four of their last five, I don't expect them to win at Newcastle, but if they win four of their last five, 
then that would make a point that, yeah, you know what, Arsenal were able to pick themselves up off the ground, go on and achieve a, a really high points tally based on what people thought they could at the outset. And and they're ready to go again next summer. And they'll be and they'll need that greater depth because they're going to be in the Champions League, which again, as I mentioned, is a really, really big factor. Not only would Declan Rice improve our midfield, Declan Rice would be a statement signing because we know how many clubs like him and how many clubs want him. And we know that, you know, based on reports, Arsenal have had, you know, what's the word? Off the record conversations with his people, with his representatives. We know that he uh, knows Bukayo Saka really well. I know that people talk about Mason Mount. Mason Mount might not even be at Chelsea next season for that to be a, a factor leading him there. So there's a lot to talk about here and there's a lot to kind of digest and discuss. But I think Declan Rice would be a massive, massive signing for Arsenal because, um, because of the reasons I've mentioned, because I really do believe that not only does he improve the team and give us a lot of something that we're missing, which is power in midfield, I think um, I think he's one that we should be trying to do a deal for, and and one that if it came down to a six seven million pound difference in valuation or or anything like that, even ten million pounds, I think we should just swallow it because I think it could be that big and I think it could be that key. So um, that's where I am on that one. Uh, please, if you haven't done so already, leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel. If you're brand spanking new, let's try and get up to a hundred likes ASAP. That would really really help. Also, subscribe. If you haven't done so already, and if you're listening on audio, then please uh, do leave us a review. That really, really does help. Um, so Declan Rice is, is certainly up there for me. I'm not going to tell you where he ranks in terms of my priorities just yet, um, because we've got a couple more players to discuss. But we're going to take a very short pause and then we'll do exactly that. OK, um, so we've talked Declan Rice. Let's talk Moises Caicedo, a player that Arsenal went in for in January, a player that Arsenal desperately tried to sign in January, but faced the Brighton uh, chairman who just didn't want to budge. And I admire that. I really, really do. You know, for years and years at Arsenal, particularly after we moved to the Emirates Stadium, we saw clubs come in, really test our resolve in terms of offerings for players. And and we buckled on, on more than one occasion and, and let those players go. And it did do damage to us as a team and it did set us back and so to see a, a chairman at a club like Brighton who are not the biggest club in the world who are punching above their weight have the the discipline or or the the stubbornness you can call it stubbornness to to reject offers like that I think is refreshing that's the type of owner and type of hierarchy that you want in football so um credit to Brighton there I didn't feel that way necessarily at that point but right now um you know, I, I I admire it, having had some time to kind of sit back and, and think about it. Is he the transformational midfielder that we need? I think he's up there. I think he's up there. I think he's somebody that has potentially a higher ceiling than Declan Rice in terms of how good he could be. But a lot of that is just hot air. Because until a player goes on and, and, and performs to that level or achieves that, it's only a prediction. It's an assumption, maybe. But watching Caicedo, at, I think it was at Spurs the other day, I thought he was fantastic. And watching him in the FA Cup semi-final, I thought he was brilliant. I talk about power, pace, mobility. He's got all of those things in an abundance. And so 
I think Moises Caicedo is a, a really, really good option as well. What will he cost? We don't know. Um, we don't know just yet, but you'd imagine that Brighton tied him down to a new contract so that they could demand crazy money for him. Caicedo has spoken quite publicly about wanting to leave, about you know looking at his next step already. And Caicedo spoke very publicly and openly when Arsenal were, were courting him in January. So I think in terms of the player, I don't think there's much convincing that needs doing there. But the problem is that you need to convince a chairman at Brighton who may be leading his club into European competition next season and may feel that that additional revenue coming off the back of that means that he doesn't have to be bullied into selling his best players. I don't know. But I really like Moises Caicedo. I think Moises Caicedo is someone that can do everything in midfield. And I think Rice can do that as well. I used to think that Rice was just a defensive midfield player. But the more I've seen of him this season and the more I've seen him sort of venture forward with far more regularity, the more I believe that he could play as an eight for Arsenal as well. And if you could play Partey as the six and you had Rice one side and Odegaard on the other side, imagine the stability you'd have there, but also the freedom that that would afford to the wingers, to um, to Odegaard, to be able to get forward and to stay forward more. You know, Caicedo, I think, is probably better suited to the pressing game than Declan Rice. But that's not to say that Declan Rice couldn't do that and um, and couldn't improve in that department. So, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting uh, to see what develops with those two. The other player that we've been heavily linked with um, is, uh, of course, Ivan Fresneda, uh, right back, uh, currently playing his football with Valladolid in Spain, uh, just... Uh, 18 years old, but he's made 18 appearances in La Liga this season. He started about half of Valladolid's games. If I dive into the statistics on this, it should give me a better indication of what the issue has been. There, there was a hamstring injury uh, that he suffered during October time, which saw him miss three of the league games. He wasn't in the squad uh, for a game against Valencia on the 29th of January, but then he had a bit of a run on the bench Um for uh for Valladolid so but look he's a young player he's a really young player and so I'm not expecting the world in terms of looking at stats according to transfer mark he can play center back he can play left midfield I'm not sure about those things I think he is very much a right back but what I find interesting about this one is that Ivan Fresneda is not the type of right back that Mikel Arteta normally goes for and I wonder if that is an the, the interest or the fact that we're looking at this player is an acknowledgement of the fact that we probably need to be able to play in different ways as well. He's more of a traditional fullback, I would say, Ivan Fresneda. Um, let me just um, look something out in terms of his height, because, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, Mikel Arteta using fullbacks that are of the profile of centre-backs and that being a real key thing to the way he likes to do things. That's not the case here. You know, this is a guy who's five foot nine. He's not particularly big. He's shorter than me. Um, and and I don't think that he really fits into what we're, or, or what we're currently operating with, where you've got Ben White, who's built like a centre-back, but plays at fullback. And the same for Takahiro Tomiyasu. So, if Arsenal were to go for this guy, that would indicate one of two things. Either Mikel recognises that he needs to have different options, different ways of playing, in the, and particularly in the build-up, in possession, and so he wants a more traditional fullback at his disposal. Or 
Um, he's looking at the guy's technical ability and thinks that he could drop into the midfield and help out and do wonderful things, a bit like the way Zinchenko does from the left. I don't know. There's a lot to kind of mull over when it comes to this one. In terms of prioritising these three players, like if if I had to write the list of priorities, if I was writing the shopping list, I think just about I go with Declan Rice first. That wasn't an easy decision for me to come to because I think that Moises Caicedo is a really exciting prospect as well. Really, really exciting prospect. But in terms of being able to guarantee we can maintain the bar that we set this season and to be able to push on and to be able to do it in the Champions League and to balance that with our Premier League, um, you know, aspirations and hopes as well, I think we probably need to get somebody in who is the finished article. Moises Caicedo is nearly there, but he's just slightly shy of it, in my opinion, and that is just my opinion. Feel free to disagree. But Declan Rice would be my number one. Moises Caicedo would be my number two. And the Fresneda need, I think, is a need because... Tommy Asu's injury record means he can't be relied upon, but it doesn't really fit in with our current philosophy. And so I don't understand why that would go in anyone's list right at the top of their priority list. But again, each to their own. I, I just think the midfield area is one that we desperately need to address. We tried to address it with Jorginho coming in and, and you can see that when he comes on, he can bring you an element of control and he can help you dictate the play. But off the ball and physically he's missing something. And and I think when we put Fabio Vieira in the other day to replace Granite Xhaka against Southampton, we saw again that we were lacking physically. And people have said after that game that Jorginho should have played. But I think although Jorginho might have given you a little bit more on the ball, might have got uh, things under control that little bit more and, and obviously has that Premier League know-how and experience, I still think we'd have been lacking a bit physically had he played as well. So I think to be able to have a Caicedo or a Rice come in and play that role, maybe even ahead of Granite Xhaka, would give us that little bit more steel, wouldn't it? And um, yeah, I think there's uh, I think there's a lot to be said for those two players and I think they'd be wonderful signings. We've also been linked with the likes of Alexis McAllister, who I really, really like as well. Could he play in that left eight position? Maybe Yuri Tielemans is another one who will be available come the summer on a free transfer? Is he someone that Arsenal have already cut a deal with? That's what some are suggesting. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, we will have to wait and see. But if I'm ranking these three players, and, and the reason I've picked these three players is because I believe that they're the ones to whom the links are most credible at the moment. I'd go with Rice, number one, Caicedo, number two, and Fresneda at number three in terms of my shopping list and my priority list. Now, you don't always get your first choice. That's not always how it works, but um, that's what I'd like to see Arsenal go out and do. Right. I am um, going to leave it there. Uh, we'll do questions uh, on the next show just because I'm a little bit pushed for time today. Um, but good to see you guys, as always, in the live chat. And just a quick plug uh, for what's coming up on the channel uh, over the weekend. There will be no preview show uh, this weekend because, of course, Arsenal are not in action. Arsenal don't play a game again until Tuesday uh, next week uh, where we face Chelsea at the Emirates Stadium. And that's a big game in terms of getting ourselves back um, where we need to be and getting ourselves back on track. But on Sunday night, I'll be dropping a very, very special episode, 6 p.m. Sunday night. Um, you'll have an opportunity to watch um, and listen to, depending on whether you watch us or you listen to us, uh, my interview 
uh, with the real Romford Pele. Ray Parler sat down with me in the 90-minute studio last week. Now, we recorded this ahead of the Manchester City game, but we had a really good conversation about the overall state of Arsenal Football Club. We talked about uh, Ray Parler's sort of knowledge of how things are working at Arsenal behind the scenes at the moment. Of course, he's been on the pre-season tours. I asked him if he could have foreseen Arsenal's progress before the season started. We talked about some of the big moments in his days and we talked about uh, who his uh, current player of the season would be, most improved, surprise package. We did loads and loads of bits and I'm sure you'll really, really enjoy that episode. That is coming, uh, of course, to you guys uh, on Sunday evening. So, um, yeah, very much looking forward to sharing that one with you. If you've got Twitter, if you're on Twitter, uh, go over to my page at Harry Simeon and give that a little retweet. Um, and the more people uh, we get that in front of, the better. Um, so, yeah, and a big thanks to 90 Min as well for making that happen. So that interview is done in conjunction with 90 Min. It's like Chronicles AFC X 90 Min. Is that what the kids put on social media these days? Um, also need to bring you a quick uh, message from our sponsors as well, the good people over at NordVPN. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with them at the moment. NordVPN, of course, named one of Times 2022's best inventions. It is just the price of a cup of coffee per month and the benefits, I'm sure you'll agree, more than justify that cost. You can protect your data whilst traveling and using public Wi-Fi because NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. You can watch sporting events, TV shows, and films that aren't available in your region. And as I've mentioned to you guys a few times now, when I want to watch Greek programming, and I try and log on to the channel websites where they've got like their style iPlayers, I can never get it to work because it's geo-blocked and anyone outside of those territories is unable to access the content. But if you've got NordVPN, you can change your virtual location to Greece or to Cyprus, and you'll be able to access that stuff. And that is the same for anywhere in the world. You can purchase flights, subscriptions, and more at cheaper prices by logging on from different locations. You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash Chronicles AFC. The link is in the description, and you'll get a huge discount off of your plan as well as an additional four months for free. It is, of course, completely risk-free because if you're not happy, you can get your money back within 30 days. So do check it out. You'll be supporting the Chronicles of Aguna podcast and benefiting as well from uh, the fantastic service that NordVPN provide. Thank you all so, so much. I'm at Brentford tomorrow, so I'll be down at the GTEC uh, for Brentford's game against uh, Nottingham Forest, who could be safe, you know. We'll have to see. Um, that should be an interesting game. Um, keep you up to date with that one on social media. Um, and then on Sunday, we'll be dropping the Ray Parler show. And then Monday, back to normal Chelsea preview. Tuesday, uh, we'll be bringing you coverage around the game. And um, and yeah, back into the routine as it goes. I'll see you all very, very soon. Enjoy your bank holiday Monday uh, for those uh, I don't speak to before. And I'll see you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs> 